Rolling video. Rolling audio. Let's roll. What's up, everybody? Um, okay, today I'm super, super excited. Uh, not that I'm not excited with other ones, but this one very, very specifically because the subject we're going to talk about is very near and dear to my heart, uh, as I'm sure it is for a lot of you listening. So on the other line, I have Nathan Jones from Lamb Lion Ministries. Now, they are located in McKinney, Texas. And as Dr. Reagan likes to say, that's God's country. And I have a tendency to agree uh, with him for that. And, and I have my reasons, but we won't go into that right now. But Nathan Jones is the internet evangelist for Lamb Lion Ministries. He is also an ordained minister. Um, he handles all uh, the anything surrounding the web, web questions that come in. And Nathan is a techie. He knows his stuff. So let's just say that. Um, he's He's an author. He's written a book um, called The Mighty Angels of Revelation. He's co-authored a slew of books, and uh, he speaks at conferences, at churches, um, here in North America, here in the States, coast to coast, all over. So needless to say, Nathan knows his stuff, and so I am super, super excited to have Nathan here. But the coolest thing is, he is a co-host of a show that I've been watching for years and years, and it's called Christ and Prophecy. And um, Dr. David Reagan is the host of that show, and he is the one that um, founded Lamb Lion Ministries. If you get a chance, I'm going to link all of this in, uh, in the blogcast page so you guys can go and check it out. But I highly, highly, highly recommend you go and check out all of the material. They are rock solid theologically, and they are just all around good folks. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Nathan and tell him thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, Pablo. I appreciate being on. This is uh, really exciting to run into somebody who just loves God's prophetic word and the message of Jesus in return. Man, it is it is really, really cool to, uh, I, I, you know, I, I feel like a little kid in a candy shop right now. I, I'm sure it's just, uh, I'm just excited. Let's just say that much. Um, but I usually like doing these intros, and like I've said before, um, I, I'd rather not do them myself. I'd rather Nathan just kind of give us a little background. That way you hear it straight from him. So um, I'm going to just pass the baton on to Nathan. And before we actually get rolling with the content, Nathan, why don't you just tell us a little bit uh, where you're originally from, college, web, all of that. Give us a little background. My name is Nathan Jones. I'm the Internet Evangelist here at Lamb and Lion Ministries. Oh, wow. How far back do you want to go, Pablo? You know what? As far back as you're willing to take us. Okay. Well, uh, I was born in a godly, Christ-fearing family, a third generation. My grandfather got saved out of the Big Band era and with his wooden tummy, dummy Tommy, traveled (laughs) all over uh, church camps and all teaching the Bible. My father uh, sold books and Bibles. And so I had a godly mother as well. And at age seven, she led me to the Lord, and be years later, when I was 16, uh, 
I was quickly baptized in a, one of the lakes in Tennessee as a wow. lightning storm was coming. It was probably the fat, fastest baptism I've ever done. And uh, I wasn't. I wanted to be an astronaut. I, I just had these dreams of going to space. But I did a summer uh, after my first year of college in Alaska wow. with Gospel Missionary Union. And I worked as a camp counselor. And that really set me on the path of wanting to do ministry uh, full time as my life career. So wow. I came back and uh, for three years, I was at Philadelphia Biblical University in Philadelphia, which is now Cairn University. Cool. And there I was a uh, missions minor and a Bible major. I met my wife uh, to be Heather there and we got married after graduation. I've had three kids since. Nice. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's hard to believe now they're in college, at least the oldest one is. Wow. And uh, from there, uh, I worked at a mission board for two years. And while I was at that mission board, they wanted to send my wife and I to Brazil to work with street children. But the candidate director wouldn't approve it me until I w- got what he called real world experience. Right. And uh, real world experience, won't a uh, Bible degree won't get you a job in the real world. <laughs> and as I quickly learned. So I went back to school and this was the uh, 90s. And at the time, the Internet was really taking off and people were getting and there was a huge field to get into. So I found I really liked making websites and uh, web development. I got a large job at an ISP. And for a few years, I was making websites for big companies. Wow. Uh, but I felt so lost. I was like, Lord, where is the mission field here? Yeah. So I started looking online because they started putting jobs online. And I found a mega church in Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church, that was looking to uh, develop their website and get more and more online. And so I moved my family to Kentucky. And from there, uh, I worked there six years until one day we had a special guest preach at the church, a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Reagan. And he was teaching all about uh, God's prophetic word, Bible prophecy, which is a subject I love. And at mm-hmm. the time I was going to seminary at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And through a mutual friend, he said, hey, you know, Dr. Reagan is trying to turn Lamb and Lines Ministries website into a web ministry. And all of a sudden I get this call out of the blue from Dr. Reagan. And he says, why don't you come down and interview and we'd like to have you here? Well, that was 13 years ago. Wow. And for the last 13 years, I've been uh, m- taking the my technical expertise as well as my digital marketing expertise. I finished my master's at Liberty Online and uh, continue to share God's word all over the world. There's um, getting to be now 4 billion people who can access the Internet. So That's the crazy. whole world is accessible now with the gospel. And so praise God for guys like you, Pablo, who are trying to reach people through the internet. That's Amen. my passion as well. Amen. And you know what the, the crazy thing is, um, uh, that the internet is, it, it, it goes two ways. It's twofold the way I see it. So it could be used for good, which has a lot of good content. Unfortunately, um, it's, it could be used for nefarious, uh, you know, reasons and and um that's what where we come in right where we try to be a salt and light to those in any place and in this case like nathan just said four billion folks that's b i mean that Mm -hmm. is a lot of people that we have the opportunity to share the gospel of jesus christ and the message of his soon return so very cool um, before we actually jump in, I always want and like to start with prayer. How about we, we, we go to the Lord in prayer? Yes, please cool. do. Lord, we come before you again. We thank you so much. As Nathan just said, what a tool that, Lord, you've enabled uh, in, in these times to be able to 
spread the gospel, your message of salvation, of redemption, and of your soon return. Lord, we pray that you would guide this conversation, that you would be in our midst, Father God, and that, Lord, you would be glorified and that others would come to know you through the words that we're going to be talking about. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Cool. So we kind of covered a couple questions that uh, that I had here. I like to... Here, see? These are my notes. And if I don't have my <laughs> notes, I get totally lost because I don't have a teleprompter. And so this is my... This is my paper teleprompter. And without these things, we would just have no, I would have no idea where to go. But we covered um, Nathan coming to the Lord and how he did that and how he fused, how the Lord fused that, that desire of and that lo love of web design to ministry. And God is so good that way. But we're going to get, we're going to get into a subject that, again, Super, super stoked about. And we're just going to jump right in. Now, there's a big word. It's called end times eschatology, right? Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Big doctrine, yes. Okay, tell us what that's about. Well, eschatology is the study of end times. Uh, did you know that 31% of the Bible is God telling what the future holds? So clearly, God wants us to know his plan from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Hmm. It's odd that as we get closer and closer to the signs Jesus gave us in Luke 21 and Matthew 24 of Jesus Christ returning, the more and more the church is less interested in this subject. Obviously, uh, during the 70s with uh, Chuck Smith and the Jesus Movement and mm -hmm. Tim LaHaye and the Left Behind series, and just there was this real passion up through the 90s and the early 2000s for Bible prophecy. But when many people were saying Jesus is coming soon and false teachers actually setting dates, which is a terrible thing to do because yep. Jesus says we cannot know the day or hour. That's right. Uh, it really besmirched the idea and the study of eschatology. You'll find a lot of pastors now won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Mm -hmm. And so you need ministries such as Lamb and Lion Ministries to help churches share the good news of Jesus Christ's soon return. And that's how we function. We, we're out there to help churches come alongside them, provide uh, what Jan Markell calls the remnant. Those are people that feel disassociated with the church now because they're not touching on that 31% of the Bible. That's God's prophetic word. That's right. And, and um, you know, if the Lord made almost a third of the entire scripture Bible prophecy, it would probably be in our best interest to pay attention and, uh, and look into that, right? To, to be aware of what that is. Um, on a side note, Jan Markell is another amazing uh, a gal, and um, she she runs a ministry called Olive Tree Views, which I will link up as well. Again, I'm trying to give you guys as many resources. I don't ever want anyone listening to the blah, blah, blogcast to say, I never heard Pablo say anything about this. So um, be warned. <laughs> um, so, yeah, right now specifically... Um, Again, I believe, I know you guys do as well, that we are living in the last of the last days and that at any moment, the Lord is going to call his bride, the church, home to be with him forever. In an event we call, the Bible calls, the rapture of the church, very specifically found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So, before, 1 Thessalonians 4. First, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians mm -hmm. chapter 4, sorry. Uh, verses, I think, what, 16 and 17, somewhere around there. Um, it says that we're going to be caught up. And I know there's a lot of people that say the word rapture is not in the Bible. 
in the Latin Vulgate. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just kind of going on here, Nathan. The word is what is it? Rapiamor or rap? You you know the you know the term better than I do. What? It, sure, sure. Well, we go to First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, but specifically verse seventeen, it says, "After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up." There it is, caught up together to be with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So in the original uh, Greek, it, the word was harpezo. And when the Bible was translated into Latin, the Latin Vulgate was the Bible for 1100 years mm -hmm. of church history. The word was rapio. So when you transliterate caught up into English, they use the, the Latin rapio and just transliterate it into rapture. Uh, some Renditions of the Bible do actually have the word rapture there, but the more modern translations have taken the word rapture and just gone to what it means, and that will be caught up. So if anyone is looking for rapture in the Bible, you can find that there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. You can also find it in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, the talk about the rapture is Jesus in uh, John 14. And there's even other uh, Old Testament passages that kind of hint at it as well. That's but right. First, That's right. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm disagreeing. Yes, so, so John chapter 14, right? You just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Okay, John chapter 14 is where the Lord tells us that he must go away. Why don't you tell us a bit about that, Nathan? Well, Jesus said in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Also trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, here we go, rapture again, to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. That's right. So rest assured that that event is going to happen because everything the Bible says is going to happen is going to happen. Okay. There, there's no, there's no 99.9% .9 chance. It's a hundred percent. So with that said, um, for those that, that might not know, uh, there are more than three, but there are three prevalent views when talking about the rapture of the church. Now, everybody agrees that the rapture, everybody, when I say everybody, um, I'm talking about Christians. They all agree that the rapture is going to happen, but the timing of the rapture is sometimes what's in question here. Why don't you give us just a quick rundown of what the three main views? Again, there are, there are other ones, but the three main views. Okay. Well, all the views circle around a prophecy given in Daniel called Daniel's 70th week. In other words, to the day there was a prophesied exactly how many years would lead up to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees that they should know that he was the Messiah because they could calculate it and find out exactly how many years, 483, up to when he rode in triumphantly? Well, there's Daniel, though, gave 490 years. So there's a 70th week of Daniel, a week of seven years or a seven-year time period that still has yet to be prophetically fulfilled, and it's called the tribulation. And this tribulation time period is a time period where God is going to judge the world for its sins. Uh, it's a... Uh, there's actually, I'll go ahead and pull this up here, three go purposes. For, for one, God to pour out his wrath upon the evil of the world. Two, to regather Israel back into the land and force Israel to acknowledge that Jesus is their Messiah. And three, for the Messiah to return and fight for his believing remnant. So you got to look at the tribulation 
like the flood. The flood was a specific time period where God said, that's enough. Humanity's gotten too evil. And it was time to judge the world and reboot humanity going through the righteous Noah. Mm -hmm. Same thing will happen again. The church will be raptured up to heaven in what's called the pre-tribulation rapture. The seven-year time period will then come afterwards, and it will culminate with Jesus returning with the church to defeat Satan and to set up his thousand-year kingdom. So the pre-tribulation rapture is the view that we here at Lamb and Lion Ministries believe that the most evidence in the Bible supports. There's uh, three other views. There's the mid-tribulation rapture, that three and a half years into the tribulation before the second half, which is called the great tribulation, which means it's it's, uh, the Antichrist, uh, Satan through the Antichrist, persecuting Israel during the last three and a half years. So these folks believe in the mid-tribulation rapture that Jesus will be come and take his church up halfway through the tribulation. Mm -hmm. There's the pre-wrath view that is more like the three-quarter view that there's 21 judgments that will happen during the tribulation, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And the pre-wrath people tend to believe that the rapture will happen three quarters of the way in just before the seven trumpet and the bowl judgments. Mm -hmm. And then the last view is called the post-tribulation rapture. Those people believe that Jesus' second coming doesn't come in two phases, a rapture before the tribulation and the second coming afterwards, but it's all one event. It's the end of the tribulation. Jesus comes. He raptures up those surviving believers up to heaven, and then you turns and comes right back, and he sets up his kingdom. That's right. That's right. So those are the most prevalent views of um, the rapture of the church. Now, again, we believe scripturally speaking that the pre-trib rapture is the one that fits consistently with scripture. Um so in First Thessalonians chapter 5, we read that, again, talking about the day of the Lord. But I want to move down just specifically to verse 9. I'm going to read it. It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So some might think, well, no, that's just in reference to salvation and Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Why don't you clarify what that verse is specifically talking about? Well, absolutely. Well, one thing we need to know about sufferings is that as Christians, we are guaranteed to have them, right? Mm-hmm. John sixteen thirty three tells us, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So uh, because we live in a fallen world and mankind is evil and Satan right now is roaming the earth, And because we are followers of Jesus, if the world hates him, they will hate his followers, right? Mm -hmm. And so we will have tribulation in this world, little t, uh, lowercase tribulation. And some folks have got that mixed up with the capital T tribulation time period, a a title, an event, rather than just little things that happen to us. Mm -hmm. And so once you realize that there is a a specific prophecy, Daniel's 70-week prophecy that needs to be fulfilled, you can understand the verses that say that the wrath of God is not meant for the church-age saints. That's a great one you read, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. There's also 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. And to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, who's disobedient, those who haven't accepted Jesus as Savior yet. In other words, God's wrath isn't meant for Christians ever. It is meant for those who are in rebellion against him. 
Romans 5, 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, the rapture, then you also will appear with him in glory. And and I'm sure you're very familiar with this one, Pablo, Revelation 3, 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So here we got in the Bible, promise after promise after promise that God's wrath, which is the tribulation time period, just like the flood, is not meant for the obedient. It's meant for the disobedient. And therefore, the church age saints, Christians, are not meant to have to endure the tribulation time period. That's right. There's also a verse in Second Peter that I like to refer to. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So God is good in that way. He, he takes care of his own, right? And I agree 100% with what Nathan said. Now I want to just kind of back up a little bit. Uh, chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to go to verse 4. And I'm going to read verses 4 and verse 5. It says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So, again, that's uh, a scripture reference that I want I want Nathan to go ahead and address that for us. What exactly are we looking at there when it says that we're of the day, we're not of the, you know, of the night, that that day should overtake us like a thief? What does that mean? Well, that's the wonderful thing about the rapture of the churches. It's an event that will be anticipated by Christians because we are of the light. In other words, we are of Jesus Christ. He's given us prophecies throughout the Bible to look for that point to the soon return of his, of his son, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And so we're children of the light. And so Satan's followers, in other words, those who remain in rebellion against Jesus, are called the children of the darkness. They're the ones when Jesus says he's going to show up like a thief. Mm-hmm. They're not anticipating. They're, they don't know that he's coming because they haven't been following the signs of the times. They're not familiar with what the Bible teaches. They're really not familiar with the Bible at all. And so when Jesus returns, it's going to be a shock to them. It'll be an absolute shock. So if you're a son or daughter of the light, that means you are in Jesus Christ. You've been saved of your sins. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And you have the Bible to turn to and know what the Lord wants us to know. And that's the exciting part about it is, is the Lord wants us to know that he's returning. Amen. Amen. And that is super exciting, which leads and segues kind of into the next portion of what I want to talk about. If we go to the book of Matthew, it's the first uh, book in the Gospels, first book of the New Testament. Chapter 24 addresses, uh, and I think, Nathan, you you touched on this. It's uh, Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21, right? As well as Mark 13, yes. Mark 13. So they talk about what the, the signs of the times, the end of the age is going to be like. And I highly encourage you guys to... Uh, read those chapters, chapter 24, uh, Mark 13, you said, and Luke 21, correct? Correct. Yeah. And so they talk about um, what those signs are going to be. And the the crazy thing is, is that it almost sounds like the news from today. It's like you can turn the TV on and you can almost hold the news up to Scripture and they align perfectly. Everything is aligning perfectly. They're... Um, Pastor Don Stewart 
does a weekly, actually a daily um, news a newscast on his channel that he talks about um, Bible prophecy in light of Scripture and how everything's lining up. And uh, Pastor Barry Stagner and Mike McIntosh also do one, and they do the same thing. So as Nathan does and Dr. David Reagan do, these events are lining up and the stage is set for the return of the Lord. What are your thoughts in regards to what we're seeing nowadays? Well, that's a fantastic question because that is the most important question. How you interpret what's going on, the chaos in the world, the wars and the famines and the pestilence and how it seems that natural disasters are coming more frequently and more often was all prophesied by Jesus Christ over 1900 years ago. Mm -hmm. He was at the temple with his disciples and they were marveling at the size and the, the grandeur and the, the riches of the temple and Jesus just shocked them. He says, all of this will be destroyed and uh, not one stone will be left upon another. Well, you could tell the apostles were shocked. Why would mm -hmm. God have his own house destroyed? Well, so they come to Jesus and they ask him, will you, with three questions, and they said, will you tell us when will this happen? What will be the signs of the end of the age? And what will be the signs of your return? Mm -hmm. And Jesus, as we know through history, had kind of explained that, well, it's going to lead up to 70 AD, where the Romans will destroy the temple. And yep. sure enough, not a stone was left upon another. The The temple was set on fire and the gold melted mm -hmm. and oozed in between the cracks of the stones. And the Romans, in their fervor for, for trying to, to get to that gold, ripped up the stones and threw them into Kidron Valley and pour, pulled the gold out. And literally not one stone was left upon another. Jesus then also gave 10 signs that would lead up to Jesus's uh, return at the end of this age, the church age. And uh, what's fascinating is you have to kind of have a prophetic perspective to understand it. There's there's two concepts that go with it that Jesus explained. Uh, I don't know if you used to watch uh, Sesame Street when you were a kid. I used to love oh, Grover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Grover would run up to this to TV and say, near, and then he'd run back <laughs> and go far. Yeah. And he'd do that back and forth until he collapsed. And so the concept of near and far is that Jesus is going to give an answer to all three questions with the same signs. So there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And he also gave a prophetic perspective about um, intensity. That like a woman giving birth pains, he compared it to the signs of the end times would come more frequently and more intensely like birth pains. I have three children. I watched my yeah. wife go through all three deliveries. And you know the contractions, they, they start far apart, yeah. not as painful. But as you get closer and closer to the baby being born, in other words, the closer and closer to the Lord's return, these signs would come more frequently and more intense. And what are those signs? He gave 10. Uh, the first one was... Uh, False prophets, false Christ. Mm -hmm. Watch.org, a cult watching website, says there's over 500 cults in the United States alone. And we are seeing an increase in it of uh, false prophets and false teachers. There'd be increase of wars and rumors of wars. There'd be increase of famines. There'd be increase in pestilence and earthquakes all over the place. There'd be fearful events such as coronavirus crisis type things. There'd be signs in the sky. And the greatest of the signs would be that Israel would become a nation again. And Jesus said that, that that generation, that time period of people to see Israel be rebirthed after 1900 or years of destruction, that would be the generation that would live to see Jesus' return. Yeah, that's amazing. Actually, it was uh, May 15th, 1948, right, Nathan? 
May 14th. Yes. May 14th, 1948. See, that's why I like having guys like Nathan on. They they keep me on the straight and narrow, man. They keep me legit, which is what I need. This is school. I got my <laughs> I got my school cap on. I'm writing notes. If you guys are watching the video of me, I'm writing notes. I can't write fast enough. So this is good, and I encourage you guys to do the same thing. But I agree with him, right? One generation, right? The generation that sees this. Actually. Yes, and now uh, you say May 14th, and as of this recording, it's it's May 18th. So mm-hmm. we're seeing Israel's 72nd birthday since it reformed as a nation again. So folks are scratching their head just saying, hey, wait a minute. What's a generation? Is it is it 20 years? Is it 40 years? Is it 70 years? Clearly not. Jesus hasn't come back. And they'll look to some passages. Oh, it's 120 years. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the Greek genia means. Genia means the race or the age or the time period. That sees this. So there's no, and lots of people have tried to calculate it. Yeah. Uh, how Lindsay himself got uh, got really in trouble for doing that <laughs> once because he thought back in the 80s that uh, Jesus would be yeah. coming back, and he was, and then he was wrong, and it, again it made, oops, yeah, yeah, it made it look bad. Uh, we're not to do that again. We're not to set dates, but the the interpretation of Jania is that time period that sees Israel become a nation again. Zechariah 12 and 14 also prophesied that when Israel becomes a nation again, the whole world will be focused on who controls Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but if you follow the UN, it seems the UN exists to do nothing more than condemn Israel for existing. And Israel is only the size of New Jersey. And yet the whole world's focus is on Israel, just as Zechariah prophesied 2,500 years ago. That's right. And uh, if you look at a map currently of that portion in the Middle East, too, um, you know, I'm not going to we're not going to get into this maybe another time. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 talk about the war of Gog and Magog. Now, um, those players are set on the stage. Am I right, Nathan? Right. Ezekiel prophesied in 36 and 37 that Israel would be like a valley of dry bones, mm-hmm. dead and lifeless. But these dry bones would come to life and they'd reform into people again. And the only thing that'd be missing was their spirit or mm-hmm. their soul. Well, since, like you said, May of 1948, Israel, a nation that has been dead for almost 2,000 years, unheard of in human history. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the Hittites or the Incans or the Mayans becoming a country again? But that's exactly what happened with Israel, just as prophesied. But they don't have their soul yet. Only about 15% of the people in Israel even believe in God. Most are secular humanists. They need to accept Jesus as their Messiah again. Well, Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the follow-up prophecy that prophesies Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, the Sudan, and Libya, and all those stand nations will unite and form a coalition in the attempt to destroy and plunder Israel. That obviously hasn't happened yet, but it is a prophecy that's coming. The end result is that God steps in. He defends Israel. He destroys those nations. He set fire against them. So imagine a world where Russia and the Islamic nations aren't a player Mm -hmm. in world affairs anymore. That's the prophecy that comes. And a result of that prophecy is the Israelis believe in God again. Now, maybe not Jesus Christ, not yet, but they'll turn their hearts to God again. So that'll be a prophecy that hasn't happened yet. But just like you said, Pablo, all those different countries are now prophetically around and aligned. Yeah, that's right. And the last one, I want to say this. Uh, Libya kind of hadn't shown up quite yet, but as of late, Russia and Turkey are in there, and they're trying to, you know, they're vying for power there, but Libya is there as of now. So uh, the players are set. 
And, um, you know, uh, all of this, again, like we've been saying, it is going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And that when for the rapture is very, very, very soon. And like Nathan said, you know, we have all of these calamities happening worldwide. Natural disasters, earthquakes, I believe. My, my wife told me a couple of days ago, two or three days ago, they had like a, a 6.2 or 6.4 in Nevada. And wow. uh, that that's that's pretty big, kind of unheard of. That's really not your... It's not really your earthquake territory like Southern California and California is. But nonetheless, there is financial instability. People don't know um, if they're going to be able to go back to work, if their job is going to be available to them. They don't know how they're going to put food on the table. World governments um, are in an uproar now, too. This whole globalization movement is shaky. Um, there are a lot of problems, and the reason why I'm mentioning this is that people are clamoring. They are ready for someone to come on the stage and say, yo, I got this. I, I, you know what? I can solve all of these problems, and that man is called whom, Nathan? John uh, labeled him as the Antichrist. That's right. The son of perdition. Is there any other names? Oh, yes. Man right. of lawlessness, the beast of Revelation 13. Uh, there's a lot of biblical explanation of him, especially in the books of Daniel, Revelation, and uh, the John's uh, uh, epistles. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a lot to that the whole world will eventually be ruled by a one-world ruler from a, a one-world kingdom. He will establish a one-world religion and force everybody to fall into it or be persecuted and even at the point of death. And uh, it's interesting to watch as especially this coronavirus crisis is going on, how quickly people are willing to give up their freedoms yep. for a sense of security, especially as we're learning a false sense of security. None of the home bounds or closing businesses or anything is stopping the death toll. That's and right. so there will be a point in the future where the nations, and this will be after the rapture of the church, I believe, the, all these millions of Christians will disappear. This Gog and Magog war will happen. The world will be in chaos. And one man will rise up, as Daniel said, from the people who destroyed the temple and, and Israel. Uh, that was the Romans. So someone from Europe will rise up and they will be given premiership over the entire world. That's right. And um, the crazy thing is some people might be watching and going, dude, there's no way no one's going to, you know, because he says he's going to cause all great and small, rich and poor to take a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Right, Nathan? Absolutely. Uh, when I was in Israel, I went to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. And a lot of times when we study World War II, we think of the Nazis as throwing Jews in concentration camps and setting them on fire and doing all these horrific acts. And that certainly happened. But Yad Vashem shows that the roots of Nazism actually started in the early 30s. Yep. And what the Nazis did is they just took one right away at a time, piece by piece, until the Jews had no rights and then to the Jews were losing their lives. And so we kind of look at this future and think, how can the, uh, there be a global government and a one-world ruler who, who tries to conform everybody to his own religion? How could that be? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. It's bit by bit, slowly by slowly, taking a little piece away. And 
combining it with Rahm Emanuel said uh, long ago, never let a crisis go to waste. That's right. When the earth is in massive crisis as a result of the rapture of the church and uh, Gog and Magog war destroying most of the Middle East and Russia and God being on the scene and the world knowing that God defended Israel, the Antichrist rises to power. The tribulation begins when he makes a peace covenant with Israel, as Daniel 9 tells us, and he makes a peace covenant to protect him from the God of Israel, and that gives him time to conquer the world. And we know that not only will the world give their power to the Antichrist, but he will also have to destroy a fourth of the world's population. Uh, brother, that's two billion people in today's numbers in order to consolidate his empire. Yeah, that's huge. If um, It's kind of hard to conceive that number, but... Um, you know, during World War II, there were six million Jews exterminated, correct? Correct. They, yes. they, okay. Here's the crazy thing is that's six million, right? We're talking about two billion people. Wow. Um, that's, that's huge. So just recently, Italy was saying that there were lines formed because of the death toll of this coronavirus. There were lines formed to the crematoriums because they just they couldn't. It was like 24-7 constantly and just the other day i was talking with my wife about this that sometimes we we don't it's hard for me to even put in perspective the the destruction and the chaos that's going to ensue during the seven-year tribulation and as you're thinking well you know we have this coronavirus pandemic that's happening and they were having problems burying people or cremating people there were just so many of them Imagine if, first of all, there, I'm sure there are believers that work at, um, you know, crematoriums that aren't going to be there. I'm sure there are people like Samaritan's Purse that will not be here. Samaritan's Purse, for the most part, is not going to be operating after the rapture. That's a huge humanitarian organization. There are people that work in hospitals that won't be here. There are people that work in... Um, you name it, morgues, uh, they won't be here in order to, you know, to help facilitate with the death toll. What are they going to do with all that? Think about that, right? Uh, it's just complete chaos, complete and utter chaos. But you don't have to be here. You don't have to be here. And we're going to get to that real, real soon, which segues into chapter 25 of Matthew, which is right the next chapter. And I just really want to touch on this real quick. Jesus shares the parable of the 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish. You either fall in one or two categories. And I want Nathan to just kind of go through that for us so that um, we have a good bird's eye view what that means. Okay. Uh, well, that is a parable that Jesus is frequently said when his return comes that we should keep watch, be watchful. Uh, even in the whole Bible ends in Revelation 22 with three times Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. So he gives us this parable of these 10 virgins. They're bridesmaids. They're not the bride, they're bridesmaids. Mm -hmm. And it's about waiting for the bridegroom to come. If you understand what first century Israeli weddings were like, uh, the, the groom would uh, make a uh, engagement. It was a lot more. It was a more legally binding engagement. And he would go off and he would build a house and a future for his wife. And then the father of the bridegroom would tell the bridegroom, okay, you're ready. Everything's checked out. Go get your bride. And so you never knew when the bridegroom was going to return to 
get, get his bride and take her home. And it would be a big celebration and all. And so Jesus is using that understanding that the people had at that time period of what a wedding was like to say, hey, when I return, it's going to be just like the bridegroom. You know it's coming, but you don't know the day or hour. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be ready. You need to, to be prepared. You need to keep your lamp oil lit, or in our case, keep the porch light on because you don't know when he's coming. And well, uh, the, what the Bible here is showing is in Jesus in this parable is that five of these virgins, these bridesmaids were ready to go and, and be the bridesmaids for the, for the bride. But five weren't. They had they'd given up. They kind of yeah. gotten lax and they let their oil lit. And so when the bridegroom came, he took the five that were ready and the other five were, were left. They weren't ready. Now, some folks have tried to say that, well, you know, all 10 of these uh, represent saved Christians. And that means some Christians are going to be left behind at the rapture. It's what's right. called the partial rapture theory. Right. That's not true. These are bridesmaids. These aren't the bride. The bride, as the Bible teaches, is the church. All Christians today and throughout church history. So what Jesus is basically saying is, is be ready. Yeah. Uh, see the signs, know that I'm coming, and just be ready. That's right. That's right. So with that said, I'm going to kind of shift um, some gear. Do you have a few more minutes, Nathan? Are we good? Absolutely. Take all the time you need. Bro. Okay, cool. So I kind of want to shift uh, gears just a little bit here. Um, and, um, well, before you know what? Before I move on, I want to ask Nathan kind of, okay, here's one thing they do on their show. They put the person on the hot seat, right? You guys call it the hot seat. <laughs> See, you get the laugh, which means that that's true. So Nathan, it's even red. Yeah. That, that's right. Nathan is on our hot seat. Our, our, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're just, uh, he's our professor. And so we're, we're asking him questions and uh, learning a lot from him too. So Nathan, where obviously you heard Nathan say, it would be really dumb to try and set a date. The Bible is very, very specific. No one knows the day or the hour. I didn't study Greek, but I'm sure the word no one probably means no one in the Greek. Pretty much. Right? Yes. Okay. So um, there are those that have tried. Uh, one recently that I remember is a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping. Yes. And I'm sure some of you folks remember. I mean, there were billboards all over the U.S. Is that right? Oh, my word. And then he had three different dates. And every time one failed, he'd try again. And the poor man, when he'd failed three times, actually died of a broken heart because he was so sure his calculations were correct. And uh, he died shortly after the third one. Uh, guys like that who continually set dates don't seem to believe what Jesus said, that we could not know the day or hour. But and this is the caveat. Jesus said we could know the season. And I'm not talking about spring or summer yep. or fall or winter. In other words, the time period. And again, he pointed to Israel. When, when Israel becomes a nation again, then here's these 10 signs. They'll increase in frequency and intensity. Just like knowing that a fig tree is blossoming, that means spring come. Or you know a storm's coming because the sky starts showing the signs. We can look at the signs Jesus gave us and knowing that the bridegroom is coming for his bride and very soon. Amen. And so... We need to be aware, and I want to ask Nathan, so with what's happening, I mean, this is huge. For the first time in my life, I've never seen something like what we're seeing globally, where global economies come to a screeching halt, halt. It's especially here in the United States. What do you think the Lord is trying to tell the church? What is the message he's conveying to the church? I know Dr. Reagan talks 
uh, in great depth at times about remedial judgments that the Lord will will allow to happen in order to get our attention. What is your take on this? Well, you're absolutely correct. Nothing's happened like this in our lifetimes and even our, our grandparents' mm-hmm. lifetimes. Uh, nothing's happened like this since the Spanish flu, 1917 and 18. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, and even then the whole world didn't shut down. Back then, you you just got sick. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's no cures or anything, and uh, uh, so now we've got an entire world shut down, un- unseen, unknown, and really it's ending up being that though we've got about eighty five thousand dead in America, which is truly tragic. It's not the millions that were anticipated. Right. Uh, but we know that because of this Gog and Magog war that's coming, that America and the West sits it out and lets it happen. So a lot of Bible prophecy people are looking to that and saying, well, if that's the case, where is America in Bible prophecy? What, why aren't we a superpower anymore? And it's anticipated that in the end times, America will not be a superpower to hold back that many countries coming against Israel, uh, either because something happened to us financially or economically, or perhaps we just got a person in the Oval Office who doesn't care about Israel, yeah. and just wants to sit out. That's certainly a possibility. But we know, too, that all the nations will wind up in the Antichrist kingdom and all the nations will come against Israel in the last days. So eventually the United States will will join or be forced into this global empire. Now, I believe that the coronavirus crisis is, like you said, Dr. Reagan said, a remedial judgment mm-hmm. on the world. It's a it's like we've been all put in time out, you know, and there's yeah. times where God allows disasters to happen for the primary purpose of making us reflect on our what we're doing and our sins to reprioritize our lives and turn our attention and repentance to him. This is our time for the Lord to say, wake up. I'm still in control. Uh, I'm, I'm God. Turn to me in repentance. Right. Repent. I want to rebuild that relationship with you, but your sin stands in the way. And so return to me. And I believe that's what the Lord is saying with this coronavirus. It's also... One of the birth pains that we read about, pestilence and plague, that Jesus said leading up to his return. So at the scope and size of it, to me, this is a major birth pain that the Lord's saying, hey, I am coming really soon. Yeah. This is this. But those people in the tribulation will look back to the coronavirus crisis almost nostalgically because it's minor compared to the disease and death that will be around the world after this major war that the Antichrist has. So I believe it's a wake-up call. Yeah, and you know, um, it's true. Uh, What Nathan just said right now, we don't really think about that. Um, We're going to look, those that are left behind are going to look back on this and go, do you remember the good old days? And, uh, you know, and I said this earlier, we can't imagine the utter devastation that's going to happen when you read the book of revelation again i encourage you to read daniel ezekiel the prophets the minor prophets which nathan um uh, did you write a book or co-author the one on the minor prophets me and a pastor friend of mine steve hell wrote a book on the called the 12 faith journeys of the minor prophets so yes we covered each of the faith lessons that each of the prophets learned and you learn about bible prophecy at the same time so again i'm going to link to to all of that material you can get that through lamb lion ministries i highly encourage you to but what i'm getting to is you've got to know this stuff and um the church has been asleep at the proverbial wheel Okay, for a long, long time, I think we're too much into 
um, putting on a show at church and flashy lights and we got the smoke and we got the, <laughs> the cool guitar riffs, you know, and uh, again, worship music is great. It's fabulous. I am not anti-worship music or a good solid, solid message. We've, the church as a whole has moved far away from that, far away from that. And it's, it's becoming very apostate in a lot of the messages that are coming from the pulpit. We're not going to get into that right now. That's, again, a talk for another time because it could take up a whole blogcast. But be plugged in. Be aware. Know your scripture. If you don't know the Bible, you're easy prey for the enemy. You're easy prey for the enemy. The lion, when, when the lions go to kill their prey, they separate it from the pack. And they always go for the weakest one. So know your Bible. Get in prayer. Um... It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a one-on-one. And what's going on in the world today, as crazy as it may seem, it's going to only get worse and worse and worse. As Nathan said, right? Like birth pangs on a woman. Uh, For those of you guys that are married and those ladies that are listening that have kids, you know it exactly what we're talking about, what the Lord was talking about. But... Um, it is a wake up call to the church. Hands down. It is a remedial judgment. I agree a hundred percent. It would be in the best interest of the church to wake up. Now, I, I want to kind of touch on this a bit. A lot of times when something happens, and I know I wrote a blog post about this, for example, with Pharaoh. Okay. Pharaoh, um, when a plague would come, he would ask Moses, you know what? Call it off. Let, let's do this. And God in his good mercy would call it off. And Pharaoh would harden his heart yet again. And he just would become apathetic. I don't care. You know what? You guys aren't going anywhere. You're staying here. And as the plagues progressed, they got progressively worse. So my hope and prayer is that the church would wake up. But that when things become quote-unquote normal. I don't know if that's ever going to go back to normal, but that we wouldn't go back into a state of apathy and lethargy because that's when things will happen, right? And I kind of want to ask Nathan about that. Um, So everything's kind of a mess right now. And the Bible does talk about, though, that as in the days of Noah, so will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be, right? What were the days of Noah characterized by, or the days of Lot? They were giving in marriage, right? Taking, eating, drinking. Is, would you say that would be business as usual? Absolutely, yes. Uh, there is a, two connotations there. One is, like you said, uh, life just keeps going. I mean, certainly there'll be lots of trials and tribulations that surround. That's part of life. Obviously, there's the other layer as as we get through the birth pains, uh, but there's also a morality issue and that the days of Noah and Lot were characterized by gross immorality and rebellion against God. Romans 1 actually shows that a progression of sin that leads to eventual where God steps in and finally has to judge the world. And that's where people have become so depraved that not only do they hate what is good, but they hate the people that is good. And they the, they want them to not only support their sin but to endorse and publicly proclaim their sin. Now, that's uh, June 
of every year. That's mm-hmm. that's Gay Pride that's Month. Right. I mean, it's it totally defends the uh, uh, explains what it's like. Now, I'm not pointing out homosexualized sin. We're talking about all sins here. That's right. The people did whatever they wanted to. There, adultery and murder and stealing and homosexuality and and fornication. You name it, mm-hmm. and it just was part of culture and part of society. And and that is what the days of Lot and the days of Noah are, are like. Now. God doesn't let such evil continue to progress. I mean, it hurts people, especially the children and the babies. And so at some point, he steps in and he judges the nation, whether it's real quickly, like Sodom and Gomorrah, by fire, if it's by the flood, which took about a year to drown out everybody and to restart human race, or the coming tribulation where God will take seven years to bring judgment upon the world. But Pablo, and I know this is the exciting part about Bible prophecy, if you'd agree, is that we read about a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will give their lives to Jesus Christ during the tribulation. So God's wrath also brings people to their knees to finally turn, repent, and give their lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is a hope. I think Dr. Tim LaHaye in the, the, well, not trilogy, had a bunch of books, the Left Behind (laughs) series, right? I think one of them was called The Soul Harvest. Yes. And and you can expect that. Um, I heard uh, Chuck Smith also in some of his um, sermons when he would go through the book of Revelation, he said that the 144,000, um, again, this is for another time, but the 144,000 uh, Messianic Jews during the seven-year tribulation are going to be able to do in seven years what the church was unable to do in 2,000 years of history. Um, the church, we, we have, unfortunately, there's a lot of blemishes on the church, and blunders throughout all of history, okay? Um, But at the end of the day, Nathan's right, 100%. During the seven-year tribulation, there are going to be so many people that are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that you won't be able to number them. The thing is, though, that you're going to be martyred for your faith. Um, And here's the thing. That doesn't have to happen. You don't have to wait till then. Right. Most likely, if you can't ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior on this side of the tribulation, do you really think that under persecution, extreme persecution, that you're most likely going to do it then? Don't put off the decision of making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Don't put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off because we're talking about the rapture. Right. But at the end of the day. No one knows when your last day here on earth is. Right, Nathan? Nobody does. Absolutely. I mean, I mean you could you could be going home and you know get hit by a car or get in an accident or something could happen and that's it and you're standing before God Almighty. God Almighty. So make that decision while you're here, while you're alive, while you have breath in your lungs. So I'm going to kind of shift a little here because this is the way I used to see things a big shift here there's a lot of people that might be considering going into full-time ministry and just for a short while because I know we're we're uh, over time and Nathan's been super gracious to us and I am very 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 thankful for that but like I said there might be a lot of people that are considering full-time ministry that is fabulous um, we oftentimes have this this image of pastors, I know I did, as like perfect people. And they're like super Christians and they're on this totally separate spiritual plane. 
nothing, you know, they never do anything wrong. Do me a favor, Nathan. Can you dispel that myth for us, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, every Christian is, is a flawed person, but we're forgiven. So we got to remember that. Uh, I, I have a heart for pastors and evangelists, like I'm an evangelist, because you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. You hear this calling in your life to proclaim his word. And so you're driven by a life of sanctification. We're saved, but after saved, you need to become more Christ-like. You right. need to work on that. And we need people in our lives like pastors. They're going to struggle and, and they're going to have challenges as well in their own lives. But if they have a good, strong eldership to keep them accountable, uh, they should be our guides. And that's what I'm seeing in the, missing in the church right now, this this fear of sin, this, this mm -hmm. hatred of sin, uh, fe not fearing God's judgment. It's a uh, Obviously, we, we really are into God's love, and he's certainly loving and forgiving. But if you are a pastor or you're a leader of other people, then you need to be teaching that that God also judges sin and that there's so many people who aren't just going to walk into heaven and talk their way into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Only a faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior will allow your sins to be forgiven, your Guilt will be on Jesus Christ, the, the penalty of your sins on him. And after you're saved, the guilt's gone and you have a new eternal life. You're promised the rapture. You're promised heaven forever. And, and I miss that with pastors being passionate. about My own pastor, praise the Lord, is very passionate about it. And so if you want to get in a full-time ministry, the calling doesn't mean that you have to be at a pulpit. Uh, I'm not in a pulpit. I'm on TV and I'm on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, it could be doing what you do, Pablo, with your apparel. It could be um, just going to your job and being a great example of Christ. Uh, uh, wherever you are as a Christian, we are called, Acts 1-8 and Matthew 28 tells us that we need to be following Jesus Christ and sharing the good news. We all have a testimony of how Jesus saved our lives share that and then you'll be a minister too. Amen. Amen. I agree with them. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 verse 37. Um, Jesus told his disciples that the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Be a laborer for Jesus Christ. Give the gospel feet, give the gospel legs, and don't just don't just say it, live it and say it. Both. They go hand in hand, okay? Now, with that said, we've talked a lot. I mean, we laid it on thick. It's heavy, okay? And it's only going to get heavier. But here's the cool thing and the great thing. God offers peace and hope everlasting. There are a lot of folks out there that are suffering right now. There's a lot of people that are hurting. Um, there are some that might even say, God would never take someone like me. You don't know what I've done. God doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. He came. He died for you no matter what so that your sins could be as far as the east is from the west. Nathan, why don't you offer anyone listening right now the hope that Jesus Christ offers? Why don't you share with us the gospel? Well, absolutely. Well, bear in mind that God first made mankind. He made us perfect and to have a perfect personal relationship with him. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed, they rebelled against God. Their sin brought death and the just judgment to hell on all of humanity. So we know that all of us have sinned. Now, have you ever lied or you ever stolen something? If so, then you realize you're a sinner too, and you're living in rebellion against God, and therefore you're in need of his forgiveness. God is love. He doesn't want to send anyone to hell, but his just nature requires him to. Mm -hmm. So that's why he sent his son, Jesus, 
to die on the cross and beat death in our place for our own sins. Jesus' death is God's lifeline to us, and he's done all the work on the cross. Amen. But look at it this way. It's like any free gift. A free gift still must be accepted to work. And God promised that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So grab hold of God's promise. Even right now, pray from your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, in turn, will remove your guilt, will make you a brand new person inside. And when you die, he promises you will live forever with him. The relationship with God is restored. restored. You are a new creation, and then you'll be considered a child of God. Amen. Amen. I really encourage you guys, if you've made that prayer, as short and as simple as that is, I encourage you, hit us up, write me. Um, if I can send you resources, I would love to do that. Uh, but remember, the most important decision you will ever make, even above marriage, who you're going to marry, is that of making Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Okay, so... Make that decision while it can be made. I strongly encourage you to. Nathan, thank you so much for all of the tidbits and the info and for your time and, and this conversation. It was super, super rich. Oh, it's been a great blessing to meet you, Pablo. I just love the way that you love the Lord and you want to teach the gospel. If folks want to know more about uh, Jesus' soon return, they can check us out at ChristInProphecy.org. That's our website. We have apps, articles, social media, newsletter, videos, short and long form articles. Uh, use a newsletter you can sign up for. We want to help you get excited about the Lord's soon return. Cool. And I'm going to go ahead and I will link to all of Christ and Prophecy, Lamb Lion Ministries, all of these resources, which are amazing. Okay. I will link to those below in the blogcast so that you guys can get your hands on those materials as well. So again, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, hope that you're encouraged. Hope that you were uh, blessed. So take care until the next one.